Good morning, everybody. My name is Joel Berry. I help out in Kids Zone, usually here at Ridgeview Church. And Pastor Alex is out of town this weekend. This message series is actually a two-part series. It's called Invest and Invite. And so Pastor Alex will be wrapping up the second part of this next Sunday. But today, we are starting with the idea of investing and inviting. There is a listening guide in your program. If you want to follow along, there's also obviously going to be things up here. Um, If you want to take notes, uh, there was a pen with your program. You're welcome to do that. That may help you refer to things throughout the week. But we do want to get into this idea and understanding and looking at investing and inviting. And Emily just mentioned sports camp. There's been a lot of invitations in the last week. I think over 4,000. We had between 4,000 and 5,000. I think 5,000 door hangers total. And we're getting close to distributing all of those. And that doesn't include just handing them out to neighbors and peoples in the parks, as well as not just doorknobs. So it's been good. And, and we are wanting to push forward to that. So there's a verse up here, and you'll see that at the top of your listening guide out of John uh, chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The idea here is uh, we are to be sent. And the, what we want to look at the next week or so, and today really, is we are, we are asked to go somewhere. Um, and oftentimes, if you're like me, I can get into a routine, and I'm really not looking to break out of that routine. And I'm not looking, always thinking about how I can include more people in my world. Sometimes I want it to be smaller. I just need a quiet time, right? And so Jesus is saying here, peace be with you. Father sent me, I'm sending you. So that's the backdrop. We're going to spend most of our time today in Luke chapter 15, Um, really the first two verses, but there's some other verses. This whole chapter is full of parables that Jesus gives about connecting with other people, finding things that are lost, finding people that were lost. You and I are probably here sitting in this room today as a result of an invitation, of some kind. Someone maybe personally invited you or you received some sort of information or maybe you saw a yard sign, but typically our life uh, and where we end up is a result of an invitation or someone brought us. And so we want to be thinking that way. So let's look at these first two verses in Luke chapter 15. Uh, And and we're going to come back to this. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this right now, but now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They're talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So the picture here is that Jesus was hanging out with people that the religious leaders and scribes were saying, they're, they're not like us. So there's this us against them. And you see that often in our world. There's a picture here of one of my favorite movies, uh, Three Amigos. And if you're familiar with this movie, very quickly, you figure out who is against who. And the premise of this movie is these guys in the middle, uh, Steve Martin's character, he thinks he's going to a village in Mexico to put on a show because he's from Hollywood. Uh, the, the people that hired him, to, they, they thought he was going to protect their village, right? Because they've seen him in movies and he protects villages. And so when he gets there, these are real guys that are really bad guys. And quickly, you see this picture of us versus them. And this doesn't seem like There doesn't seem like there's room for conversation here, right? The us versus them is like, we've got an agenda, and he doesn't look like he really wants to be there, right? So that's what we want to move away from as followers of Jesus is like, hey, you get it right, and then come join us. You figure it out, and then come join us. But what Jesus is saying, the picture that's painted in Luke 15, is that uh, we need to bridge that gap. We need to move the direction of other people and show them love. So as you see up here, it says, us us versus them is kind of... uh, 
the mentality that we start with, but we don't want to stay there. We don't want to stay in us versus them. And a few things that have, you know, one of the things that I've seen this in is just in, not, not just in movies, but in life. Like I have flown, I remember being in an airport once and I'm waiting to board the plane and they call like frequent flyer people, they get to board. So you're waiting. And then they're like platinum members. I'm like, wow, sounds like a cool group. And they, they get on. And then they're like double platinum. I'm like, wow, what'd they do? And so I'm waiting to get on this plane. I was like, I thought buying a ticket would be enough, but I'm still waiting. And then it's like first class, second class, and now you, right? At the end, you're like, when am I getting on this plane? And so there's always this tendency to feel like there's us and there's them. And how, how did they get that? And why do they get that? And so all of these things start creeping in of comparison. And then also, I deserve something. If they get that, I deserve that. And then how do I get that? And how do I separate myself from these people that get boarded last or whatever it may be, right? And we see that all the time, and we want to start moving away from that. The picture that we're getting in, John chapter, or in Luke chapter 15 is that instead of like raising a barrier to get to it, like it wasn't hurdles Jesus was putting up. Like if you do this and you do this and you do this, I'll come to your house and I'll eat with you. But what he was doing, he was going to the tax collectors and sinners. And it's funny that the tax collectors are a separate category from sinners. It's like there's all the sinners and then there's the tax collectors too. It's this idea of like he's hanging out with those people. And what he did was instead of raising the barrier and saying, once you get this and this and this and this and this right, I'll hang out with you. He said, I'm going to find you where you are. And the way that we reach people who are lost is to love them where they are. Because that's how they change. They experience love. And if, and if the relationship is yelling across a canyon and us saying, you get it right, and then come figure it out, and they're like, I don't know how to get across this canyon. I don't know how to figure it out. Plus, you're yelling at me. Why well, don't want to hang out with you, right? So there's all these pictures that are being painted here. And we want to take the example from Jesus that it's not um, us versus them. It should be us and them. But we've got to figure out how to connect that. I want to show... A couple of pictures here. Um, one is of Jack Murphy. You'll see him in, in just a second. And here's one real quick point I want to make before we move on. Um, we have this desire for people to get what they deserve. It's in all of us. It comes up quickly if you're driving on the freeway. That's, but there's plenty of other places where we see something and we want someone to get justice. But at the same time, there's also this tendency for us to know what we have done and want to be our own judge and jury and say, I don't deserve what other people have because of, of who I am and what I've done. And that's just as wrong as thinking we deserve more than someone else. Thinking we don't, the, the, the grace and love of Jesus that we're going to be talking about today is available to everyone. So this is Jack Murphy. He had a nickname called Murph the Surf. And uh, he was, he had be, he'd gotten a reputation for surfing, but in 1964, Jack pulled off the biggest jewelry heist in American history. He robbed the Star of India jewel from the Natural History Museum in New York, him and a few buddies. It wasn't his first robbery, but definitely he made international headlines with this, with this heist. And he continued a life of crime. Um, and, you know, he served time for that. And then he uh, caught a double homicide uh, conviction, which landed him in jail for 224 years, I think was his sentence. Here's another picture of Jack. If you, if you were ever to Google Murph the Surf, he liked to wear sunglasses. He, um, often his pictures are in handcuffs or leaving a courthouse. And so he, he had gotten this double homicide conviction 
of, I think it was 224 years. And while he was in prison, people were reaching out to him. And people were sharing the gospel with him. And over the course of time, Jack committed his life to Christ. And in 1986, somewhere in the late 80s, I think it was 86, he was released from his 224-year sentence um, out of prison, and he was a changed man. And people were like, yeah, right, you're a changed man. Anybody says that to get out of jail. And um, he had really been living a different life, and he got released. And Jack experienced a true conversion to where he went back as a civilian, preached in a lot of prisons, and a lot of people had taken a risk on him you know, to bridge that gap, to share the gospel with him. It changed his life. I was introduced to Jack in 2017 when he was in his late 70s. One of the things I do for income is write, so I'd gotten hired to work on a screenplay for this guy. And he was at the end, you know, toward the end of his life. He's in his late 70s. And we would have phone conversations, but one time we were meeting in, perp- per- in person, and I remember sitting around the table with Jack and these other people that were working on this project together, and he starts telling a story about uh, his past, I mean, this guy has a sordid past, and we've all done things wrong, but not everything we've done wrong has ended up in, like, national headlines. And so this guy, like, everybody knew his business. And he's telling a situation, trying to recount it, because we're trying to get organize his story into a screenplay. And then he just kind of stares, and he's like, we don't need to talk about that anymore. And in that moment, I, I had this sense with Jack that, there are these times, even though he experienced the grace and forgiveness of God, there's these times where if he let the weight of his actions in the past dictate his life today, he couldn't make any progress. And so in those moments when he said, we, we don't need to talk about that anymore, it was this remembrance that that is a heavy anchor. But what Jack landed on wasn't the anchor of his past, but, but the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And Jack did some bad stuff, some really bad stuff. And, but he knew that God's grace and love and forgiveness was even greater than that. Here's one more picture of Jack. This is sportsillustrated.com. So they've got Hall of Fame wave rider. This is how they summed up his life. Mastermind jewel thief, murderer minister. And, and he, Jack passed away. It'll be two years in September. So just shy of two years right now. But at the end of his life, uh, he finished well, and he was a product of people taking a risk on him and bridging a gap to love him, and he in turn turned around and spent the rest of his life uh, preaching and evangelizing and tell people about the, the love that God gave him. And so Jack uh, yeah, made a big impact on me just by, by his life and story and really just seeing the grace of God in his life. And as we move on into Luke chapter 15... There are three parables that I mentioned earlier that God talks about. Now, we're not going to read them all today, but I do want to spend a little time on just kind of summarizing them, moving past us versus them. First is the sheep. If somebody, and Jesus is telling this parable, if a man has 100 sheep and he loses one, does he leave the 99 and go get them? Yeah, he does. And you know what he does? He goes and he brings that sheep back and he tells his neighbors and they throw a party because they found the one sheep. Now, sheep for a shepherd are, uh, represent livelihood, but the picture here is that if one sinner who doesn't follow Jesus is found and brought back into the fold, we throw a party for people who have returned or found God. The other parable is um, the parable of the lost coin. There's a lady who had 10 coins. She lost one. She cleans her house, uh, 
I was going to say turn on the light, obviously, then they're lighting a candle or whatever, but she's trying to illuminate her house and find this one coin until it is found she's not doing anything else. That's her whole focus. The last story in Luke 15 is the prodigal son. And this is a son, a father's got two boys, and one of them says, I want my inheritance now. I'd like to go spend it. I'd like to go live my life. He does. He squanders it. He wastes it. He ends up working like in a pig pen, and he's hoping the pigs leave him some food to eat. Um, and, and then he returns to his father. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that story in a little bit. And the story here is that if something is lost, it is worth being found and is worth going through the, the, the pain and the agony of searching and finding it. Now, you may have lost a phone before or a wallet or keys. Those are kind of the three things that are like, it kind of stops your day till you find it. Uh, the thing about wallets, keys, and phones is that you kind of have to track back, where did I leave them? Where did I put them? Because uh, usually they were set somewhere. If you've ever lost a kid, they're different because they have feet. So a lot of times they're not where you put them because they move. And one time, my wife and I have three children. One of ours uh, got lost in Kohl's. And um, I don't know that the child knew they were lost. You know, they're just doing their thing. And so, but it got to the point where uh, Coles had to get on the microphone and like call out whatever code lost kid, whatever that code is, you know. And um, so they won't let people leave the store, right? Everybody's shopping today has stopped until this kid is located. He was found in housewares and um, didn't, and I guess knew not to go with strangers because once they tried to corner him, he thought it was tag. And so we found him, but everything shut down until we found that child. And so the picture here with finding what is lost is that everybody's day stops, and it may happen in your house too. If it's your keys or your wallet, everybody's day needs to stop until they spend the time looking for that with you, until it's found, because it's of high value. It represents, obviously our kids represent huge things, but even our, sorry, I knocked this off. I'm not trained in earpieces. Um, even our wallet or anything else, there's a lot of value on that because it represents other things. It could be represent income or connectivity or getting to our job, all of those things. And so there's a big, there's a big value in finding the things that are lost. Uh, the point is, that, though, when we're talking about lost people, that they're sinners, which is what the Pharisees scribes said. They said, this man eats with sinners. It's not the, the, the fact that they're sinners isn't the point. The fact is they're lost. And, and, and they need to be found, and we want to love them because God wants his kids found. That's it. God wants his kids found. And so the way they are found is through time. We invest time in other people. That's kind of what we want to look at today is how, how do we help other people. So our attitude about people reveals how we view them, and it's hard to reach them with the wrong attitude. If we assume they don't have it together, they annoy me, I can't stand how they post on social media, whatever you fill in the blank of them, then it's going to be hard for us to love them, right? So our attitude plays a big part in how we approach people that we see as different or who are living a life contrary to the truth of God because they don't know him. They don't have a reason. You know, the world is doing what the world's supposed to do, right? The, we, God calls us, Christ calls us to be salt and light. So that's our job to help illuminate, uh, show God's love to others. And that's how lives are changed. That's how my life was changed. I would imagine if you're a follower of Jesus, that's how your life was changed, through someone reaching out to you in love. So here's the wrong attitudes. Uh, 
and, and attitudes are kind of your go-to response that are developed over time. So if, if you have an, an attitude and I have attitudes that have developed over time, it's not an overnight fix, but God gives us the help to start shifting our perspective to the right thing. So the first one is grumbling, and you'll see there in verse, uh, I think it's a verse one or two there. It should come up here, yeah. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So it's not just that they're making an observation, they're grumbling. This is negative. Like, he shouldn't be hanging out with those people because they're sinners, they're tax collectors, they're not like us. These were the scribes, these were the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders who ironically uh, separated themselves from sinners. But we know as people that Christ is the only one who hasn't sinned, so we're all in that, we all fall under the umbrella of sinning and not being perfect. So the grumbling is the first attitude that shows up, and the, they, they thought Jesus was one of the sinners because he hung out with them, and that wasn't the case. He was spending time with them to, to, to show them love. If you've ever seen, you heard like hikers get lost hiking in the mountains and the woods. They send a helicopter out, but the news never says this, this silly helicopter guy got, got lost. No, he wasn't, he was saving the guy. That, just because he was hanging out with the lost guy wasn't because he was lost. He came out to rescue him. And that's the picture we have of Jesus. He's hanging out with people that uh, were living lives contrary to God. And it doesn't mean he was living that life. He was there to help rescue and love. Um, and that's, that's kind of our calling and our perspective is how can I bridge these gaps to others and invest in others and show them the love that changed, changed my life? And God gives us wisdom on that as we wrestle with what that looks like. Um, God gives us wisdom in relationships and people and how to be investing in them. So the next attitude that we see here, um, actually, I want to, before we get to that, I want to look at the prodigal son story. Uh, well, there is judging. Yes, we'll, we'll throw that up there. Okay, so Prodigal Son, this is the end of chapter 15 that we've started today, and the older son is mad because the younger son blew all the money, came home, and now they're throwing a party for the younger son. So, you know, I, I can see where the older son's coming from. Here's a, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So there's this sense of justice. The one son says, I've already always done right, and, 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 I've, and I've not complained about it. I've, I've stayed here, and I've worked, and I haven't blown the money and done all these other things. But this is too far. Like, you can't celebrate this guy that completely rejected you, took the money, spent it, and now comes back, needs a place to live, and wants, a place, and wants food to eat, and you're going to give it to him? And so we can go on here and see uh, the response of the dad. And, um, and this kind of actually moves us into the right attitudes, which is compassion and mercy. So instead of grumbling and complaining, which I don't know about you, that kind of is my default. It's something we have to be intentional not to do. Uh, we move into compassion and mercy, and here's the father's response. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The picture there of a celebration because someone was dead and someone was lost is very kind and compassionate. 
It's not, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I could come up with a list of things to say to this younger son that would not fall under the umbrella of compassion or mercy. And isn't that our tendency? It's like, okay, they're down. I need to kick them while they're down because they need to know. And I've, I've fallen into that with parenting. If I've got a kid that's done something wrong, I'll just lay it on them. And then I have to ask their forgiveness later. Like, you did that. I know it was wrong. I shouldn't have. Yeah, it was wrong. You shouldn't have. And you know what else? And then I've got some other things to say, right? That's just kind of the, the way we can typically go. But what we, the picture we see here is the, the older son is being told, you have it all. Anytime you want the food that we're throwing at this party, it's already yours. Anytime you want um, the things your brother has access to again, you already had access to all that. And, and even the tone here just seems like not, not accusing, not, not telling the older son he's stupid for thinking this. He's actually just saying, you've got it. And then he gives perspective, which is another good parenting point. Often as a parent, and this is good for any relationship in life, but we want to say, because I said so. Just knock it off, because I said so. Right? But he actually gets perspective. He says, it was fitting to celebrate. This is why we're throwing the celebration. Your brother was dead, and he's alive. We thought he was gone. We thought we'd never see him again. He was lost. He was living a life that was contrary to God, and that is terrible. And he's back, and he's found. And so we celebrate. We don't celebrate his sin. We celebrate that he's turned from his sin. And that God has loved him. And so that is the picture that we see in Luke 15. And that's the attitude God is asking us to have. Not the grumbling, not the complaining, but God, how can I be compassionate? How can I be merciful? Yeah, I'm frustrated with whoever. You fill in the blank in your life who is living this way or speaking this way or acting this way and living contrary to God and is treating me this way. But how can I show them love? How can I show them compassion and mercy? Because that's the example Christ set for us. And Christ hadn't done anything wrong, and he went to the cross, and he was crucified, and he rose again to restore that relationship, that connection. And, and that's the only way we can, we can show that kind of love is because God's spirit in us. On our own, we're, we're going to grumble and complain. I know I am. You know, I, have to, I really have to ask God's help and ask him to come and be part of, of my life and our relationships. So moving on here... Uh, the picture here, though, is that parties break out. When something is lost and is found, we celebrate it. And at Ridgeview, we do that. We have baptism celebrations. And when people commit their life to Christ, it's an exciting thing. And we want people to know that, that we are on their side. And we'll talk more about kind of Ridgeview and in a little bit about just our investing and inviting and why it's so important to include people in what we're doing. But here's the, follow, here's the mission Jesus gives his followers, us for them. So it's not us against them, us versus them, us for them. And if you think of people that way, I am on their side. I want to see them win. It changes the way you treat them. It changes the way you treat them. If, if, you, if you've identified somebody in your life that you have conflict with, or, uh, and it's easy to get upset with people you, you'll never meet, whether it's uh, political authorities or people in other situations. But the prayer here is that, God, how can I pray for them? And if I'm in relationship with these people, I'm for them. I want to see them succeed. 
How can I love them to see their life go well? And, and the way people's life goes well is that they get connected to the God who created them and who has the blueprint for their life. So this is the picture. Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8 uh, is... Uh, here, I'll just read it. I don't know what I'm saying now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the picture here is... Uh, after Jesus uh, rose from the dead, he appeared to many people before he ascended back to heaven, and he left them with a mission. And in, in the book of Acts, as the early church is getting started, it's like you're going to be local, you know, which is uh, Jerusalem, which for us, that's like where you live. So Fontana, and then Judea, maybe Inland Empire, Samaria, California, and maybe the end of the earth, the whole world. The idea is that I want you to go and include more and more people in this circle. This, the picture here is a rescue mission. You go and you pull people out of a burning fire and into safety. And as we look to invite people to Ridgeview and include more people in, it's because we want to, them to experience refreshing life in Christ and, and experience the refreshment that we've, we've experienced. Now, the picture here also is uh, that that's assuming you've committed your life to Christ. If you don't know where you stand yet, that's fine. Often people come around and you're checking out Christianity, checking out Ridgeview and what that means. But I do want to share with you what, what we're doing. There's an image here called Rescue Mission. First of all, we as Ridgeview, we don't exist to be a self-fulfilling, a self-fulfilling or self-sustaining entity. We, are, we exist to grow. That's, that's our goal. And so we want to bring people in and get more. I mentioned at the beginning that I work in KidZone. Um, and one of the things we've been going through with the boys, these are five, six-year-old boys up to age 11. So we have been working on a, a kind of a section called the Rescue Mission. And we've been going over this image you know, the last month in May. And the way this image begins is two dots. So if you can imagine just the two dots there and none of the other stuff. And we walk through this. And last week, actually, I had uh, boys that wanted to would, would explain it to the class themselves, which as a parent, uh, I, be encouraged that your, your, your young men are learning how to go out and push beyond these walls and share the love of Christ with people in their neighborhoods and in their community, because that's, that's what they're learning. So they've got this, these two dots represent God at the top and us at the bottom, and there was this big emptiness in between. We were disconnected from God, and we could not reconnect ourselves. So Jesus, Jesus came to the earth. So we draw that line to connect the two dots. Now, Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life, and he made it a way to connect back to God, and that way was through death. He was, he was crucified because, uh, for our sins because sin, the, the, the uh, wages of sin, the Bible teaches, is death, and someone has to pay that wage, and only a perfect sacrifice could do that, and none of us qualify because we're all sinners. So Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And so the cross there, you'll see, is, uh, represents Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, that's a gift that's available to the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But like any gift, uh, you could leave a gift under your Christmas tree and then ignore it, and then it gets thrown away, and then you never see it, you never opened it, you never experienced it. Because that gift is available to you, you still have to respond to that gift or not. And I don't know where you're at in that, in that uh, category today, but that crown there represents making Jesus boss of your life, saying, you know what, God, I, I don't have it together. 
and I want a relationship with the God who created me, and the only way back to him is believing that you restored my relationship with God through your death and resurrection. Will you forgive me? I want to follow you. And that's that picture of the prodigal son coming home. I'm turning from that lifestyle, and I'm following you. I'm going to need your help, but I want, to follow. I want my life to go the direction of, of God. I want to cultivate that relationship with God. doesn't mean you won't sin again. It means you're forgiven, and you have the strength and the power to move past those things that have captivated you for years, the grumbling, the complaining, fill in the blank. Okay, and so then you'll notice at the very end is an arrow that points out, and that's what I was talking to the boys about last week in Kids Zone. I was like, the arrow says, we don't keep this good news to ourselves. It's not enough to say, yes, I'm a Christian now, and I'm going to go to church every Sunday, and I'm going to do all these things, that, all these activities at the church, but we need to bring more people into what we're experiencing we push out. And so that is the picture here with investing and inviting. And that's not easy, especially when uh, two things. We're working something new into our schedule, maybe, where it's like, I've got to make more time for people. Or uh, maybe we're not there yet. We haven't committed our life to Christ. But here at Ridgeview, our goal is to see more people come in to experience this life-changing things. You notice Emily at the beginning mentioned a next step area, uh, which is how to get plugged in more and to be a part of these activities um, and opportunities that help bring more people in. Sports camp is, is a, a way we're doing that too. Sure, we want kids to enjoy uh, sports and learn camp. That's not our drive is we need better athletes in North Fontana, right? It's really because we want opportunities to connect with families and, and do all those things. Who put that there? Okay. So let's, um, I w- we need to wrap up here, but I want to um, look at the next steps. So every week we uh, provide next steps, and, and these are suggestions. You may have something else that God brought to your mind, but the way we make progress is saying, I'm going to make this step this week. It's a step. We're not, we're not looking for leaps or long jumps necessarily, but just the next step. And uh, the question here is, how can I build a, build a bridge to people in my world? We want to think through that. So the first one is, you can read Luke uh, 15 this week to see God's love for the lost. And that's the chapter, we, we, we saw a few verses from that chapter today. But you, you can read the parable about the lost coin, about the lost sheep, about the prodigal son. Um, so that may be something that, that would uh, help you today, this week, just to get perspective on the lost. The second one is to identify those uh, that you see as them around you. Who are the people in your life and you see they need to get it together? Or that's them, this is me. Um, just to identify. And it may be, you know, if you ask God for clarity and, and wisdom on that, and if, if, you don't, if, if nothing comes to mind right away, God will be faithful. If there's, if there's some people that you're viewing that way, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll be faithful to help you recognize that. And again, it may be obvious. That may not be something you're struggling with. You're like, I know who they are. Um, and then the, finally, the last one here is take a step to connect with them in your life. I don't know if you're like me, but if there's someone I don't want to be around, then I don't go around them. Right? So uh, is there a way I can connect with them to show them kindness and love? And then ask for wisdom. It's something to pray about. And then also, if you get stuck, you can reach out um, to, to Ridgeview. And you can even mention that on your connection card. If you like, just try what that would look like. We can maybe help you with some ideas. Um, so these are a few of the next steps you want to take. You may want to take this week. But my prayer for us is that we are looking to how to bridge the gap, to move beyond these four walls, to include more people in, into what we're doing, to experience 
refreshing life in Christ. Um, will you pray with me as we wrap up? Dear God, thanks for this time together this morning. And as we look at your goodness and the example you set, uh, it's a challenge because the example you set was, uh, was good and very challenging, very, very hard. It's not something we can do on our own. So I guess part of this prayer, Lord, is will you help us to love the way you've loved us and the way you love the world. Help us to love those that we're in relationship in the same way, to respond not with grumbling and complaining, but with compassion and mercy. And we need your help to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.